Okay, friends, I got to tell you about Boyd Ranch Mule Days in sunny Wickenburg, Arizona. Coming up March 6th through the 12th, 2023. It's right around the corner, you guys. You got to join us for this. We got a clinic ourselves. We're putting on March 6th through the 8th. Uh, also, my good buddy Chris Clark, an amazing Grand Canyon Packer, um, he's doing a clinic there. And we did a podcast episode with him uh, a few episodes back. Uh, check it out, Chris Clark. Him and his wife, Marisa, are just fantastic people. And he's doing a three-day packing clinic out along the Hasayampa River. Hope I said that right, Scott. Um, and uh, it's a great time. You know, Scott Stewart, Lisa Taka, a whole bunch of other people, they do an incredible job putting this Mule Days on. Uh, there's trail rides every day, you guys. Short, long, ultra long, uh, dang good food, dinner breakfast uh this year they got some nashville songwriters um and amazing artists coming to entertain us uh we have a good time dancing my girls love to dance there we have a great time just a a wonderful experience they got a mule ramble they got a trail course and all the proceeds from this mule days goes to benefit children's programs there at Boyd Ranch. Uh, a great opportunity to give back to the youth. Um, and we love the kids coming up. We want to continue this legacy. So we would love if you would come support Mule Days at Boyd Ranch. Um, for more information, go to boydranch.org. Look it up on social media, Boyd Ranch Mule Days. Uh, just come enjoy your time with us. We would love to see you there. Hey friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. Glad to have you here with us today. Um, I'm going to talk about my recent visit to Massachusetts. Um, it was my first time going to the Equine Affair in Massachusetts. I've been to the Equine Affair in Columbus, Ohio, but never been to the one out there in West Springfield. So anyways, it was a dang good time, a pretty quick trip for me um we flew out uh friday um got there friday night just in time for fantasia and uh, i'll talk about that in just a second and then saturday we did our presentations had three presentations and and then sunday morning bright and early uh, in fact it was dark and early (laughs) flew out and headed home um so anyways, I want to kind of talk about that equine affair and and how it went and, and talk about the presentations and uh, talk about the good time I had with my daughter Swayze. Uh, if you guys don't know Swayze, you're missing out on life. Swayze is super cool. Uh, she's my youngest daughter, um, almost eight years old now, and it was just her and I got to go out there uh, together and and it was it was a lot of fun. She has been counting down the days for the last three months to this equine affair. And shoot, just about every day, every week for sure, asking how many more days, how long, how long. She wanted to start packing for the equine affair a couple months ago. <laughs> so she's looking forward to it. Um, not so much my clinic. She doesn't really care about that part, but she was super excited for Fantasia. So... Um, I can't remember if it's a couple nights or three nights of the equine affair that they they have Fantasia. So it's a bunch of presentations, a bunch of um, little little shows, um, 
you know, there's an awesome trick roper. Um, I can't remember his last name. First name was Ryder. Ryder something, and oh my gosh, that guy could trick rope and crack bullwhips, and oh, he had his bullwhips on fire and cracking those bullwhips with the fire, and man, Swayze thought that was so cool, and uh, one, the the gal with him, I don't know if it's his wife or girlfriend or whatever whatever it is, or maybe just a just somebody that that shows with him there, but she. Um, She's trick riding, and Swayze thought she that lady was so cool, and um, loved watching, loved watching all of it. She just had a had a great time. She loved every bit of it. She was so excited, and it was kind of a fun little daddy daughter date that first night. And and um, Swayze's just so funny, and she's she's usually just so positive. And we get to the airport, and and she goes. Ah, Dad, I just love airports, <laughs> and I hate airports. I'm thinking, man, you kidding me? This is like the worst place in the world. I don't want to hang out in an airport. Like, ugh, talk about, you know, I just don't enjoy airports for sure. And she just thought it was so great. Um, yeah, she even wanted to go back through TSA again. I'm like, no, no, that's the worst part. What? Why would you want to go through TSA again? I hate TSA. That they just you know, they make you feel like you're nothing there. You don't. You're just a, you're just a, a herd animal moving through the through the shoots there. You know, that's all you are there. And and uh, she loved it, man. She wanted to go through again. She wanted them to check our bags again. And I'm thinking, no way. And she just loved the whole experience. She she liked getting on the plane, and she was so excited about takeoff. You know, she's been on planes before. It's not her first time. And. It, it was just so fun hanging out with her all, all weekend, you know, um, just me and her, you know, we've, we've never done that, never done that. So it was a good time. She loved Fantasia, loved the show, and I do highly recommend it. If you guys get a chance to go to the Equine Fair out there, you got to go to that Fantasia show. So anyways, after that, um, headed back to the hotel. Our good friends, our, our, uh, our hosts for our clinic in New York were there, John and, and Joy Hoffman. They were out there and and they were kind enough to give us a ride back to the hotel and and uh I really appreciate Joy. She she kinda kept an eye on Swayze during my presentations, during my clinics. And that was a relief for me. I, I knew there was and there was other friends there too, but I was I was really happy that they were there to help out and everything and and uh so I kinda wanna talk about um my presentations, though, I want to get into this because it was it was just a great time, and and I, I got to start by giving a shout out to um, to the folks that participated because participating in in my regular clinics is no big deal um, compared to these. You know, my regular clinics, it's just us. It's just us there for the clinic, and only people that are there watching at my regular clinics are folks that you know usually really care about it and and they enjoy this type of mulemanship and and they're there as students they're learning too they're not so critical but to be um a participant at something like this boy it takes a lot of guts because there are so many people watching um and i was really impressed i was uh if i'm honest i was gonna be i was i was going into it a little skeptical um thinking about the turnout i'm thinking geez i don't really know very many people from 
Massachusetts and that, you know, right there in that area. I don't know a lot of folks and, you know, we don't have a, you know, a lot of followers from right there that, or at least those that, you know, speak up and, and tell me they're from that area. I just don't know. And, um, oh my gosh, uh, the turnout was great. So typical for being a mule presenter at these at these horse fairs and these expos, they stick us clear out in the middle of nowhere usually. So my first little uh, clinic was Ask the Mule Guy. So it was a Q&A for asking me questions. And we were in this demo ring in the farthest corner of the whole facility. Just a little demo ring, two little bleachers, um, you know, that's it. And, and I'm thinking, man, I hope we can even fill up one bleacher, you know. Anyways, both bleachers were full. And there was there was folks standing two or three thick, all the way around that whole thing. There's a lot of people there. Um, it was awesome, and I was like, okay, all right, cool. And and people stayed for the whole thing too. You know, um, a lot of times you get passers by, they stop for a couple seconds, a couple minutes, and and then they move on. But folks stayed there, and it was awesome. Um, you know, uh, however, right there, the very first demo. Um, I realized that I had probably pre prepared too deep of material. So the things that I wanted to talk about, the points that I wanted to talk about, I knew were way too deep for this equine affair because I was getting real basic, basic mule questions. Like, well, like, like, what is a what is a mule? First of all, like, how do you get a mule? You know, um, and I probably went too deep into that conversation too. Like, all right, well, you take this this stud donkey and you get this mare and then and I, I probably explained too far into the process and I had to keep it family oriented. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Um, you know, and then I got a lot of basic tack questions, a lot of just basic questions, you know, how to adjust a britchin, you know, things like that. And I, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I prepared way too, way too deep for this uh, surface level event. And uh, I did. However, because of our awesome participants that came, and I want to thank them, and I'm going to tell you who they are in just a moment. Because of the awesome participants, I was able to go a little deeper in each of my sessions because these three ladies that showed up, they have been students. They have come to many of my clinics for a few years now, and, uh, you know, they, they follow us you know, follow the pod, this podcast, and they, they're they part of the video library. Um, you know, one of them is doing the master class, you know, coming up here in 2023. And anyways, th these are some serious students, and I, and I was so grateful. So um, first of all, we had uh, Chris Schilling, and she brought pickles. And if you've, if you've listened to um, the debriefs about our New York clinics, then you'll recognize Chris and Pickles. Um, but they're great. And uh, just so Chris is just always smiling, so happy. And, and, uh, pickles is, is the, the healthiest looking 27 year old mule I've had in my clinics. That mule just looks like he, he's a youngster, but yet he's, he's got some age. Um, also had Christy Bauer and, um, and she brought her mule Lori Rose and Christy is just so sincere about, being thankful and kind she she's just so kind and and she just really said thank you a lot and made me feel appreciated and and uh, she's working hard at stuff and and that was fun to have her 
And they also ha- also had Lisa Whitney and and her mule um, Waylon. And uh, you know Lisa um, is such a good writer. She's so good. And, and Waylon gave her a little bit of crap in one of the sessions there. You know, going through some transitions and stuff. And and uh, you know Lisa just handles it so darn good. And she's got such a good work ethic. I have no doubt that she's going to have some success with Waylon, even though Waylon can be a little challenging uh, for her at times. I have no doubt that she's going to do good. So, anyways, those are my three participants. Um, for the first one, though, for the Ask the Mule guy, it was it was Chris and Lisa. Christy didn't come to that first one. It, and it was good because there's just a little demo ring and there's hardly any room. Um, so, you know, I got some... some basic questions there didn't get a lot of deep questions of course got the typical you know bolting mule question that we get everywhere you know and uh get on this podcast quite a lot you know of course the bolting mule stuff and bolting horse stuff whatever um so it was just kind of basics it was all right you know i'm thinking all right well i was hoping to go a little deeper here and have some more thoughtful questions you know and um dig a little deeper, uh, push me a little bit. Um, in the next session, um, it, it was, it was good. The next session I really enjoyed, uh, it, it was titled how mules learn. And I wanted to have that as a topic to get into the brain side of things a little bit more. You know, I've been, uh, studying the, this, mule brain horse brain deal now for a few years i got turned on to all this brain chemistry and all this kind of stuff um a few years back when uh martin black and and steve peters wrote evidence-based horsemanship and i've referred you guys to that book um quite a few times on the podcast here and uh you know i i really like that book it got me thinking a lot And, and since then i've went on and i've 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 uh you know, taking a few classes from Steve Peters. You know, he's got uh, a master class that he puts on, and and then he does some virtual clinics with Martin that I enjoy, and uh, you know, and and all the stuff he wrote, I've tried to read about it. So I wanted to to present this to the mule side of things and and uh, put it out there because it, you know, consistently I have found the mule world to be behind the horse world all the time you know on on a lot of these things a lot of the the uh, advancements and the things that we're learning and i'm you know it's kind of my mission i think to to uh bring the mule world up to speed on a lot of the stuff and a lot of the old stupid myths you know there's so many dumb myths out there that science has just knocked out of the park um, and experience too. A lot of these dumb myths, the people that say these dumb myths don't even have the experience to back it up. I want to, you know, like, you know, one of the dumbest myths out there is you better watch out. You, you know, you better, you know, a mule will wait 10 years to get you back. And I always joke and I say, okay, first of all, what are you doing to that poor mule that it would feel the need to wait 10 years to get you back? What's wrong with you? What did you do to that poor thing? So that's my first thought. But then I say, or I want to say, sometimes I'm polite. I don't say anything. But I want to say, 
Okay, but but have you had that experience? Like, did you do something to your mule 10 years ago and then it got you back and you know that it kicked you because of what you did 10 years ago? You know it. And we all know the answer to that. That's not the case. And we know now that it's impossible for a mule to plan that far in advance. They, they don't have a large frontal lobe. They have a frontal lobe, but it's real little. It's not capable of all this abstract thought and all this planning. You know, mules don't plan for retirement. They don't plan what they're going to have for dinner. They're, they're very momentary animals. And this is part of the what I presented to the folks there in Massachusetts was, you know, it, it really helps if we can figure out how to be in the moment with the animal. Okay, they, they're not, they want one thing above all, and that's comfort and peace. They, they want to feel good. So if you can provide them comfort and relief, that's where the learning will take place. They are drawn to the comfort and the relief. So that's that was the basis of my talk on how mules learn was how we can set them up to find comfort. You know, and and one of the other things I asked the I asked the audience I says how many of you think that anxiety is a negative thing? Like if I say the word anxiety, you know, you automatically think that that's bad. How many of you think anxiety is a bad thing? And almost the entire audience raised their hand. Anxiety's bad. Okay. Well, we know now that you do have to have a certain amount of sympathetic arousal to get them to learn. Sympathetic arousal is crucial to learning, actually. It is critical that we have sympathetic arousal for these animals to learn and have, um, you know, be able to uh, retain um, what they learn, okay? Well, to get that sympathetic arousal, you need to add just the right amount of anxiety. Now, um, just the right amount of anxiety can be real positive. Think of uh, any sport, okay? Uh, whatever. Uh, fall. We're, we're in football season, whatever, right? And I don't know anything about sports, so I'm sure my analogies with sports will uh, probably not be accurate. But for, for my own self, this is what I'm going to tell you, okay? <laughs> Football. All right. You got the ball. Now somebody from the other team is chasing after you. The other team's chasing after you. You want to make your goal, touchdown, whatever it's called in football. <laughs> and... Uh, you have a little anxiety that you're going to get tackled. That's why it's going to keep you propelled forward. You're going to keep it running fast because you don't want to get tackled. And you, But you also want to make, uh, you know, make the touchdown. So a little anxiety there, a little, just a little fear that you're going to get, you're going to get pounded there is enough to keep you going forward. And it's a good thing. You come off, you, you make the touchdown, you come off of it, and you feel really good. You feel great. In fact, a lot of these guys, of course, playing football just to uh, advance a few yards, that, that's all they need. They don't even need to go to the touchdown, right? And they feel pretty good that they made an advancement for their team. Um, same thing with, with the animal. So 
It would be different. Let's take that football scenario. It would be different. It would be a different level of anxiety if a different type of anxiety even um, if these these other teammates uh, were chasing after them with knives and spears and bows and arrows and they're gonna they're gonna come catch them and when they you get caught you're gonna get killed. Okay, that's that would be a whole different level of anxiety, right? That's not what we're going for. And when you put it into the context of these mules and learning, you want to have the positive anxiety to where it's just enough anxiety in there, just barely enough to get the mule to look for some relief. We want the mule to learn how to learn. Basically, learn to find the sweet spot. Learn to find the relief. Learn to find the comfort. So that's what we want to set up. Now, too much anxiety, so too much sympathetic arousal, and that is the other analogy of the this, the other team chasing after you with with knives and, and spears and swords, and they're going to catch you and kill you. Um, now, some people, unfortunately, work their mules and horses that way to where they get their horses and their mules so stinking scared that there is no, they, they go past the sympathetic arousal and now it is in flight, fight, freeze, and there is no learning going on. So we need to do just enough with our engagement with these animals to put them in the optimal learning frame of mind, as Steve Peters would say, the optimal learning frame of mind. This is where, this is where the best learning, the best retention um, takes place. This is where it happens. You're engaged enough that you are aware of what's going on. You're responding, not just um, reacting, but you're responding with your with your thought and your action. You're you're not re just reacting and fleeing the scene, or letting flight kick in and just have these uh, these, these flight reactions. Okay. So I want them to respond in, in a positive manner where they're looking for the comfort. So that's what I'm after. So we talked a lot about that and, and you know, how much is too much and, and what is not enough? Um, because those two things happen a lot. Either we do too much or we do too little. Now I'd say most people that I run into at my clinics probably do too little. And I've said this a lot of times as I travel... All over the world, I see a lot of people that are doing the right thing. They're, they're doing a good thing. The, the stuff they're working on, is it really is good. It's valuable stuff. But they're just not doing enough of it. And when they are doing it, it is good stuff. Maybe they are doing a, a lot of that stuff. They're not engaging. They're not getting enough sympathetic arousal for there to be any retention, for the mule to learn anything. Basically, what I'm saying is they flatline it too much. You need to have some peaks and valleys in the in the mule's emotions, in this sympathetic arousal, and then parasympathetic relaxation. There needs to be peaks and valleys. you got to bring them up a little bit, and then you got to bring them back down and let them soak. And we've talked about this 
in previous episodes, but this is something I've I went into during this session was it's important we we need to know that it's okay to get the mule up. It's okay to cause a little bit of confusion. It's okay to introduce a little bit of frustration in there. And then you make sure that there's doors open for that mule to walk through or go through or find its way through where relief will be. You know, it takes pressure for relief to be effective. It takes relief for pressure to be effective. But is your mule seeking... um, Are they moving away because of the pressure or because of the relief? And I went on to teach that you know, we, we really want our mules to get addicted to the relief. We want to make them to where they are addicted to learning, where they really look for the answer because they know it's going to feel so good when they find it. It's going to be so nice. It's going to be so great when they find that answer. They're going to just love it. And you give them a soak time. And, you know, I went on to talk about how it's important to you know, you, you think you've waited long enough, wait a little longer, as my mentor Martin Block would say. And that's hard for a lot of people. But whatever you need to do, you know, people used to dog on folks, uh, you know, carrying their phones while they ride. And and I and I totally I totally understand because a lot of people are so distracted by their stupid phone that they don't focus on the ride. However, this would be your one the the one you know, get out of jail card would be, okay, you just did a difficult maneuver. You brought the animal's stress up a little bit. You really engaged them. You got that some sympathetic arousal. Okay, they found the answer. They figured it out. And now you're trying to provide some relief. Okay, leave them alone. Go ahead. That's your chance to pull out your phone and press play on my podcast and listen to me for a little bit here and or you know, go check uh, T.S. Mules on Facebook or Instagram, you know, whatever. That's your chance. Go ahead. And and let them just, just leave them alone for a little bit. Whatever you do, go hop off and go grab a drink of water or, you know, whatever. Just leave them alone for a little bit. So, you know, you, you need to do enough to engage that, though. A lot of times... And, and it's challenging because there are a lot of um, uh, clinicians and teachers and, and and people out there that that really they, they really do preach a a total calm vibe the whole time and and I get it I understand why we're drawn to that it feels good it sounds good totally just stay relaxed and smooth the whole time you can be relaxed and smooth but you can also engage the horse or the mule enough that they seek learning sometimes if we flatline it too much and the mule does not get aroused out there does not get to you know flipping that switch into that sympathetic nervous system a little bit there's no need for them to find answers. They're comfortable already. Why should they look for anything else? They're just fine where they're at. And it's it's no different than, of course, the, the shade tree example. Okay, pretty simple. If the sun's out, it's hot. It takes just that much discomfort for the mule to, to go toward the shade tree and find some shade and relax. That's it. So it's just that slight discomfort of the heat of the sun 
that cause the animal to shift and move back to the shade. And as the hour goes by and the sun creeps in there, it's it's gonna just, you know, cause that animal to, to look for that shade a little bit more, you know, and, and the, the mule will move the shade. Okay, that's all it took. I didn't say the sun had to come down and throw its fiery rays and burn the poor animal to get it to move. No, it's just a little heat of the noonday sun to, to find some shade. That's all it took. So when we're working with these animals too, we need to be, be sure that we're getting enough engagement in there so that they will seek the answer. Now, on the other end of that spectrum that I talked about there, well, a lot of people do too much. And it goes back to that football example, playing football, and now the other team is carrying knives and swords and spears, and now they're chasing you, and if they catch you, they'll kill you. It's a whole different reaction. You're running for your life. And some people come at their horses and their mules in this manner to where they are, the animal legitimately feels threatened. And that sets us up for a whole different deal. Now, the animal will still seek comfort for sure. It's going to look for comfort, but it's going to look for comfort in a much more dramatic way. That's when you get the flight, the fight, and worst of all, I think, is the freeze, the shutdown. When they shut down, your chances of teaching them anything anytime soon is gone. Yeah, maybe if they run off a little bit, you got them real scared, and you shouldn't have done that, and that sucks. But I'd rather have them run off a little bit than totally freeze up, because the animal that freezes up, I will not teach it anything, probably for a long time. It'll be real hard for me to get that animal um, out of that, you know. So, uh, you know, people go too far, and they push too much, and they get the animal really scared, and you know they're not going to get anything done there either. You know, you definitely want to don't. You know, you don't want to do too much. And the, but the thing is that the difference between doing too much and too little is anybody, any any old person off the street that even doesn't have a maybe they have no clue about horses and mules. They don't know equine at all. Maybe they've never even seen one. This is their first time. Anybody can see when you're doing too much because it comes out. You know, usually pretty big. You know, usually in a flight or fight mode or that just to shut down and freeze. So anybody off the street can kind of see doing too much. It's a little easier. But the doing too little, that's pretty common, and it's easy to do. And we think we're doing really good things. Like, you know, one of the most common things I hear, and this is a question that came up there at the Equine Affair, so that's why I'm going to mention it, is should we, get, we got a new mule, should we let it bond to us before we do anything with it? Okay, well, I guess it depends on what your definition of bonding is. For me, I don't really use that in my vocabulary. I don't say bonding, and you won't ever hear me in my clinics telling you, this is how we get the mule bonded to me, because I just don't do that. But but I do want the mule to find comfort and relief with me and within themselves. And as soon as I achieve comfort within the mule being with me and comfort the mule helping, you know, helping the mule find comfort within itself. As soon as I have those two things, then I feel pretty good about the relationship. But if the mule doesn't find comfort within itself, nor within me, then there's stuff to be worked on. Now, I don't call it bonding. Well, how do I do it? Because this person asked, you know, they, they said they were told they got a new mule, that they should just let it hang out for a month or two before they do anything with it. Okay, if... 
that's that's so flatlined that the mule will not have any draw to you. And there'll be no good feelings there because there's nothing to find. It's just a flatline comfort zone. And sometimes what happens is is if it's too flatlined, there's nothing for the mule to look to for a little help. They won't see you as somebody that can support them at all. They'll see you as just another thing to be familiar with around the barnyard. Like, oh yeah, this person just shows up and they throw some feet out every now and again. And, you know, they don't mean any harm, but they don't mean any good either. They just kind of float around there. You're, you're no different than the barn cat in that case. You, you need to do something that will cause the animal to feel good. It's amazing what you guys can get these animals to do. You can get them addicted to working for you. Now, they don't feel like it's working like you and I go into a, a day job. But they, there's something about you that brings about good feelings in them. And, and that comes from engaging that sympathetic nervous system, getting them a little bit aroused, a little confused, a little frustrated, and then helping them find the answer and getting all the good, feel-good chemicals that God put in there naturally so they find the answer. And they know it's the answer and they'll remember it and retain it. It's pretty critical to their learning. So these things are important. Now, we another big question we had was, well, with this, the way mules think is, is, you know, so the common expression of desensitizing. Okay. And what what you're doing in there. Um, so people kind of asked about that. Well, okay, so how do you get them... So they're not scared of something. Well, for sure, I don't want to flood them. I don't want to just do so much that they completely ignore me and they're totally dead to it um, for a couple reasons. One, I don't believe that they truly accepted it and learned to investigate. I love a curious mule. I want the mule to investigate what's going on. I want them to think. I want them to check it out. I want it. To, I want the mule to feel things with their whiskers a little bit. I want them to look at it and change eyes and, and kind of see what's going on. I don't want them to sit frozen stiff when there's some stimulus. Well, a lot of people will just flood them until that happens. When I introduce something, I, I, whatever it is, it could be the saddle pad, could be a rope. It could be a cow. It could be anything. I let the mule investigate and I, and I have it around until they show some curiosity, some type of curiosity response to it. To me, that would be the acceptance type of response is that curiosity. Now, how do they show curiosity? Well, maybe they fill it with their whiskers. Okay. It's a tarp on the ground. Maybe they walk up to it and they kind of blow a little air out, move their vibrisi, you know, their whiskers, and they can kind of feel it. Uh, maybe they stomp it a little bit, whatever. Curiosity like that. Um, or maybe uh, with a cow, maybe they're first, they're kind of scared of that cow a little bit. And then the some of the curiosity comes out in a way of investigating the cow by being drawn towards it. Like I noticed the animal kind of looking at it, but then being pulled toward it, like they kind of want to go with it. That's curiosity. That's the type of stuff I'm looking for for acceptance. And that's about what I do. And then I might move on to something else and leave them alone. But so many of us will 
will flood them until they are, you know, just totally stock still frozen. That that's that's called flooding. Okay. So we talked about that, you know, on on, on how they learn and, and helping them find that curious, you know, curiosity in there. Talked about reading expressions, so important, you know, being able to to, to see the animal and, and, and watch all those reactions and see what's related to, you know. If we're working with horses and mules, you guys, we need to be good at analyzing. Be good at seeing what's going on. You know, it's the whole observe, remember, and compare. So you you analyze. You, you, what's going on here? What, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then what is the mule doing because of what I did? What's the expression? What's going on there? You you get to where you have, you read those things and you pay attention to it. What's going on there? Okay, and uh, and that will help you. That will help not only you learn, you know, but it's going to help that animal because your timing is going to be so much better. You know, uh, it's going to be critical because you can see. Oh, all right. Put a little bit more stimulus in. Okay, take a little stimulus off. Whatever that is. And uh, so, anyways, that was fun talking about that. Um, talked about, you know, the, the animal being so honest. And, uh, you know, we talked about don't punish your mule for being honest. Like so many people, and, and, and this is just a mindset. And this has helped me so much, you guys. And I hope what I'm about to say helps you a lot. So I hope you're listening to this. But don't punish the mule for being honest. What I mean by that, when the mule has behaviors, whatever behavior it is, if you don't like it, you know, let's talk about kicking, biting, bucking, bolting, uh, spooking, whatever. Don't get mad because the mule's being honest about how they feel. These mules are so stinking transparent, you guys. There's no bull crap in the mule. There's no baloney. They're not lying to you. They're not salesmen. They're they're not trying to get you to you know the, what's that old adage about the used car salesman whatever right they're not trying to con you you guys they're, they're not trying to 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 pull one over on you they are so stinking honest they're telling you how it is they say I don't feel comfortable about this I don't like that they're telling you you should say thank you and then help them through it now that doesn't mean you you know you just ignore it or whatever and you don't do anything about it you know you don't. I mean, you, you got to help them. Whatever, you know, you can have to plug in whatever scenario this is, and, and there's different answers for different scenarios. But the point is, is I, I was saying, don't be so offended by behaviors that your mule exhibits. Don't let it, don't let it bother you, um, you know, and, and be upset about it. Say, all right, cool, all right, well, it's okay. I put the saddle on this mule and freaking bucked, and it's still bucking, and... Every time I saddle up at Bucks, what do I got to do about this? It's being honest. It's telling you it doesn't feel good about the situations. So what are you going to do about it to make it better for that mule? So that has helped me so much. And I shared that with them, and I hope they listened. I hope that gives them something to think about. So anyways, we talked about all kinds of things. And then what I ended on really was the, the, the mule really doesn't need to learn anything. You know... You think you can teach it to, to run and to trot and to turn and to stop? I'm sorry to break it to you, but just come out here to Utah and look at the the horses 
the, the wild horses. Look at the wild donkeys out here in the desert. Um, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you, you're not teaching them how to run and stop and back and turn and anything like that. They can do that without you. They don't need you for that. So our job is is not to teach the mule things. They don't need to learn how to do things. We need to learn how to ask. And that is really, to me, the concept of horsemanship, is figuring out how to ask the right questions at the right time. And it was, anyways, that was, it was a great session, uh, a really good turnout. Um, I don't know, maybe, I don't even know how many people there. I would say maybe 150 people, maybe 150. I don't know, um, for my little session there. So it was, just, it was a great turnout there. Pretty incredible. Um, and, you know, Chris and Christy and, and Lisa, uh, they were so good. Um, and that session, I asked them each. You know what? What do you guys want to want to work on? You know, um, what do you want to do here? Because it's not like a regular clinic where, um, you know, uh, where we're going to go through the checklist. You know, we're not going to go through the checklist here. Um, so, what do you want to work on? And each of them had different things, and it's kind of funny. It all ended up being pretty similar, but. Chris said she wanted to work on transitions. Christy said um, she wanted to get more punctual stops. And Lisa wanted to work on turning on the haunches, moving that front end. So, um, you know, it seemed like different things, right? But we got kind of working on stuff. And, and you know, one of the main things that you got to teach these animals, and it's so important, you guys, and if you come to a cult starting, you're going to do a lot of it, but is forward motion. If you don't have good forward movement, if you don't have free forward movement, everything else is so hard. So if you can't walk, trot, lope freely on a loose rein, right out, leave them alone, at those three transitions, everything else is harder. All of it is harder. Uh, it's so critical to get that free movement. And as we kind of got working with, like, Christy, she wanted his punctual stops. We got going through some of the transitions, and the transitions were really challenging. Um, I noticed she didn't have real punctual shifting through her transitions down, like going from a trot to a walk. And then the walk to the trot was really rough. And it's hard to think, well, how would going from a walk to a trot affect my stop? All of it is punctualness. All of it is quickly shifting weight in the body. It's fast rebalancing of the animal. So when you're talking about things like collection and, and all these things and self-carriage, you, you have to have a, a proper and appropriate balance to do those things. And if the mule is clunky, just going from a basic walk to trot, trot to walk, walk, trot, trot, walk, back and forth, if it's clunky in that transition, well, why would we believe that our transition is going to be smooth from a walk to a stop or a trot to a stop? Because that takes... It takes a lot more balance. It takes quite a bit more balance and refinement to go from a walk to a complete stop or a trot to a complete stop. For sure, definitely a lope, right? Well, we can't even, you know, on a more basic move, going from a little faster to slower, slower to faster, you know, if that's difficult, then for sure our stops are going to be. And so Christy worked through that. You know, Lisa wanted to work on those turnarounds, you know, turning on the haunches. 
And it's kind of the same thing. She didn't have enough forward motion. She she didn't have enough forward motion, enough drive forward to keep that mule moving around on the haunches. So it was real difficult for her. And it was it was challenging. And so I so we had her work on transitions a little bit. Now I already knew I already knew that her transitions needed some help. We worked at that at our clinic in New Berlin, New York this year. But it's the same thing. If you don't have good forward motion, all your moves are gonna be handicapped. They're not gonna be the full, you know, freed up moving piece that you need. Because it's a balancing act. So those transitions are so critical. And, you know, there's a lot of folks that will kind of dog on that. Like, well, you don't really, you know, you don't really need to do that. You're just a trail rider. Well, don't let anybody ever call you just a trail rider. Whatever you're doing, you're riding an animal. You're balancing this animal. You have the same amount of responsibility as a rider if you're trail riding. Or you're going to go fight a battle on the back of a horse. Or you're going to go, you know... Uh, be a pickup man at a rodeo. You're going to go team rope. You're going to go ranch rope, dressage, jump, whatever. You, you, All of it's equal. You're on the back of the animal. You have responsibility. Take care of that animal. Direct the animal and help them stay in balance. If you help the animal stay balanced, you're going to be safe. The animal's going to be safe. It's when they get out of balance that you get the bucking, you get the running off, the bolting, you get the spookiness, the 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 lack of balance is the where you guys get in trouble. So anyways, these transitions are so critical. And that was kind of the theme working with these ladies was these transitions really. And we kind of mingled it with other stuff. And that kind of led to our last session of the day. Um, the last session was titled a handy mule is a safe mule, but it all starts with us as writers. And I've done this talk before, but I didn't add on the it all starts with us as writers part. I've just said a handy mule is a safe mule. And we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, getting control of the four quarters, you know, um, trying to get a handle, you know, on a moving, moving the hinds, moving the front, We're talking about the centeredness exercises, you know, talking about keeping the mule centered, that you know, that rectangle-shaped box around you. You know, we, I usually talk about that. And I did. I talked about that again on this session. But but I wanted to really highlight the us as writers part because it's not enough just to say that we got to get the mule handy. you, you got to get them turning. you got to get them stopping back. Because all that sounds really good. But the deal is... I have seen a lot of really broke mules and horses that are really handy that that any of us would just love to ride. I've seen really good ones like that that are very handy just dump people all the time. I mean, it's pretty common, actually. You know, a mule turns around really good. Well, the, the human doesn't even know what they're doing, and they're turning this mule around, and they're spinning it so fast that the person falls off. Or you get a mule that stops so dang hard, you know, sticks all four feet in the dirt. You know, we don't really practice the slide stop. We practice all four feet stop. You know, I want them stopping hard. I don't want them sliding somewhere, um, you know, because we're not rainers, right? Um, but a hard stop happens all the time. Mule sticks it in the ground and the person goes flying like Superman. <laughs> so, it, uh, you know, 
just because they're handy, I guess, doesn't mean that they're safe. So that's why I added on. It all starts with us as writers. That could be on all kinds of levels. It could be from the basic level of, you know, just your your simple skills, simple writing skills. How do you turn? How do you stop? How do you back? How do you, you know, go through transitions? Basic skills. But I went a little deeper than that. Um, and I went on to explain that, you know, one of the quickest ways to ruin a good mule, this handy mule I'm talking about, the quickest way to ruin one is poor timing. And I see it all the time. These days with these these uh, big mule sales, bringing big money, you see some pretty good mules coming up. I see more handy mules these days than I used to. Some better stuff. And uh, you see these mules with a pretty good handle on it. And the person buys it. And the next thing you know, um, a couple months later, they're having pro- problems with it. There's issues. The mule doesn't turn anymore. It doesn't stop anymore. It didn't go anymore. Whatever. Okay, well, you had a really good mule to start with. What was the problem? Well, the common denominator here is you as the rider. So that person has issues with the mule now. And going back and looking at the process of what happened over that time period that messed things up, the common, the most common thing that I see that will mess a mule up for you is lack of timing or poor timing. That's all it takes. Asking a mule to do something when the foot is not ready to do it. So as the foot is not leaving, as the foot's leaving the ground or the foot the body hasn't shifted the appropriate weight to the appropriate spot to make that move. Asking it to do something and tripping it. You see it all the time. And, you know, the sad thing is that folks don't even know they're doing it. And sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And that's where, I mean, that's my job is to educate and help help these people with that. That's where I step in. But it's that lack of timing that is, is the biggest deal. you got to have some good timing. Because if you don't have good timing, there's two things that are going to lack. The first thing, if you don't have good timing, you're not going to know how to ask the question at the right time. And if you've come to my clinics, you, you hear me use the analogy all the time about asking your parents to go play at your friend's house. You go ask your parents, hey, can I go play at whatever Johnny's house? Well, if your parents are in a poor mood, your mom's dad, whatever, is in a bad mood, is that the time you should be asking to go play at Johnny's house? Well, probably not, right? Because they're probably going to say no. But you kind of butter your parents up a little bit. You go do a little chore for them. You get them, you know, you wait till they're kind of in a good mood. And then you ask, hey, can I go play at little Johnny's house? No, they're probably going to say yes. It's that timing. And it's the same thing with your mule. Moving their feet. When are they most likely to say yes? When the foot that you want to move is ready. So it's that timing of 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 when do I ask the question? If you, you know, so many people are asking the right question. They really are. I mean, most people I run into these days, they, they really are doing the right thing. They're asking the right questions, but they're asking them at the wrong time. And then they get the the uh, answer that doesn't fit and then what happens too with this poor timing is it gets these mules on the fight it really does get them 
get them kind of bracing a little bit. It does get them a little bit on the fight to where um, they don't really want to do any work for that human. You know, they don't really want to say yes um, because they're like, oh my gosh, this guy just, you know, he just jerks my my feet out from under me. Uh, man, doesn't feel good here. And they will get bracy. And now you had a mule that, you know, used to turn so nice and smooth and light, and now it's a fight. So that timing is critical. The other part of timing, or I should say, if you have a lack of timing, the other detriment to this is how do you know that they did a good job? How, how can you even reward them? How, how do you know when to say good job? How do you know when to give them their paycheck? How do you know when to help them, you know, find that relief? How do you tell them good job? You can't. If you don't know what those feet are doing, you can't tell me that, you know, they, you're, you're quitting at the, a great time, a perfect time, because say I'm trying to move that foot, that spot, if I can't feel those feet. I mean, you may get lucky. I, I guess it's not impossible. You may get lucky and just leave them alone at the right time and maybe it's just it, the stars aligned for you that day and it's just fine and you think you made some progress. That's how I used to ride all the time. You know, I just keep, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, before I just went with a law of averages, right? Okay, if I do this a hundred times and maybe I'm only 50% correct, well, that's 50 out of a hundred times that I'll do it right. Okay, do that enough times, maybe it'll work. <laughs> so... That used to be my process of thought. Okay, if you have good timing, you know you don't have to worry about the law of averages so much. You you're gonna just be consistent. You're gonna get it. So that was a huge, um, a huge part of the learning deal was was that right there. You know, um, the other part that I that I taught about was feeling the feet because the timing. Oh yeah, that sounds all good and that sounds romantic and really nice. Let's feel those feet. Or excuse me, let's get that good timing. But how how do I get good timing if I can't even feel the feet under me? We need to know where those feet are and it needs to become second nature to us. Now, I guess not everybody. I mean, there's plenty of people that ride their whole life and I, I meet them all the time. They ride their whole life and they never felt the feet one time and they don't pay attention and they just kind of go down the trail and... As long as they stay within the bumpers of the trees and the rocks, well, they're just fine. But if you want to make any progress, and, and anybody listening to this podcast is, you guys are listening because you want to be better. You you want to improve. You want to be the best that you can be. Why? Well, you need to be able to feel those feet. It needs to be second nature to you. Now, I'm not saying you have to be so good that you call those feet out the moment they move off the ground, the you know, no, nah, I don't think you need to be that good. But you need to know what's going on down there. When When is that foot moving? When is that foot setting down? If you can get that good, you can get to where you can feel that weight shift in that animal. And it's the weight shift that really makes a difference, even more so than the feet actually moving. But it's the weight shift when the animal's preparing to move a foot. That's something you, you feel for there. So we talked about that, and it was kind of fun. I got the audience there. You know, they'd kind of call out the feet, and it got everybody involved, and it feels good to be involved for dang sure. So that was that was really good, you know. Um, and the other thing I, I kind of got the whole audience uh, calling out was leading rain leads leading foot. 
And this is a phrase that I try to get all my students at my clinics to memorize. Leading rein leads leading foot. And if you're listening right now, I hope you write that down as long as you're not maybe driving in a car, but say it to yourself. Leading rein leads leading foot. So this is you trying to get a rein attached, metaphorically speaking, to one of those feet. So when you move a rein position, you move it here, you move it there, that rein position is going to help you um, direct that foot. So leading rein leads leading foot. Anyways, and, and, and I finished with talking about an, an awareness, being aware. And if I can, what I've learned is if I can get people just thinking about the feet, if I can get you counting feet, and I think this is one of the big lessons that, that a lot of my mentors was trying to get at. If you can get to thinking about where those feet are, it really just brings about a incredible awareness of your mule. Because some people just ride and they're just sitting on a freaking bench while they ride. They don't even care. It's just like they might as well just go sit on a bench in the house. There, there's no feeling under them. They're, they're not paying attention. There's no awareness of their body in relation to this animal and what the animal's body is doing. They don't feel it. And they're just moving this thing around. Well, feel that animal, you know, and uh, if, you, if you can feel the feet, it just takes your awareness to another level. And that will get you on a different road. It'll, it'll get you on a different path to awareness. And, and next thing you know, you're, okay, you're feeling the feet. And next thing you know, you're paying attention to their expressions more. You're you're watching the ears flick and you're watching, you know, uh, the you're, you're feeling and hearing the tail. You watch the eyes. You see the nose. You, you Okay, now you're paying attention to breathing. Now you're paying attention to skin density. Okay, uh, the the skin feel tight there? Are they light? Okay, when are, are they uh, are, are they loose in the muscle? Or are they tight in the muscle? You know, next thing you know, you're feeling that mouth through the reins, and you can feel all these parts. And it begins with feeling the feet. So I kind of ended with that the the awareness part. Just practice awareness of your animal. The more aware we are, the better we're going to get along. And if we can be aware, it'll also change our relationship to it. It'll get to where, you know, we are, um, it, it's a relationship. It's a communication deal. We're not just throwing out orders and ignoring what's what's being said by the other party. We're talking to each other here. We're working together here. And that's a game changer for y'all. Anyways, um... All in all, you know, it, it was an incredible time. That equine affair was just such a great time. I, I enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, I enjoyed meeting everybody and and uh, you know all the all the people there. So many folks stopped us and said hello, and and uh, a lot of people said hi to Swayze, and a lot of people said they missed seeing Sky and Ellie there. Um, you know, and and uh, I miss having Sky and Ellie there too. But it was a great time, and I'd love to go back. Uh, you know, we uh, Sky posted a few things on social media, and folks would say, "Well, why don't you come here to this equine fair, or excuse me, this horse fair, this horse expo?" And uh, you know, the truth is, guys, with these, we go where we we go where we are invited. 
These are invite deals, so the Equine Affair invited us out there. Um, so anyways, if you'd like to see us at uh, an expo near you, um, put in a good word for us. Tell the folks in charge. Send them an email. Let them know. Next year, we're going to the Idaho Horse Expo up near Boise, Nampa area, I think. Um, and we're going to the Minnesota Horse Expo. So those would be uh, a lot of fun. You'll see us there at those. And it's fun to change things up a little bit, you know, do things a little different um, for me and, and do these expos. It's a little different than the clinics for sure. Um, it's kind of like a sampler plate. That's what it is. And it's hard for me because, as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know I can get long-winded. And you know I can talk a lot. And uh, I go deeper. Um, I like to go deep on these on these subjects, you know, in, in my clinics. I like to, to to dig deeper. I don't like to just be surface level. So it's good for me to, to keep it, um, to do these sampler type deals at these expos. So anyways, um, I want to finish up this episode with some questions from listeners. I got two questions to address. All right, this is from Cody. And I can never say your last name, Cody. Sorry. Cody, I'm just going to say Cody B. And she's from up there in, uh, I think she's from New York. She comes to my clinic in New York anyways. So her meal, Fern, okay. Uh, Hi, guys. Fern's tongue is not so active. um, So that's an improvement. Um, Because she had asked on previous episodes uh, about the the mule's tongue um, being really active and and what to do to get their mouth quiet and everything. We addressed that. So this is is different. My question is distractions. When I'm out riding or even leading her uh, and something catches her eye in the distance, a car, a deer, a branch, whatever, uh, I let her observe... And then when she's not so glued to watching it, I will resume training. Is this perhaps the wrong mentality? Will this result in her always stopping for distractions? I feel like it won't because she keeps her cool. Thanks, Cody. All right, Cody. Um, okay, first of all, I'll say there's nothing wrong with you letting her check things out. Okay, let her look. I, I do like a curious mule. I like a mule that is aware of things. Okay, I don't want my mule oblivious, all right? You guys, I don't want them so flooded that nothing means anything anymore. They don't care. I don't I don't want them like that. That's not fun to ride. And, and in fact, I, I my mules help me a lot. You know, when I'm home and I get hired to do some day work or I help my buddies do ranch work, and my mules will help me find the cattle. I listen to my mules. We're out there riding, and I'm trying to look for cows, and I don't see nothing. And my mule, all of a sudden, she perks up and looks over there to the left. Oh, sure enough, there's a cow, or, or maybe it's a deer, or whatever. I don't care. But I want them to see see things and be aware of things. I don't want them to be oblivious because at some point, there will be enough stimulus that will cause them to pay attention, and they'll see it. And, and I don't want them to spook. So it's okay to, Cody, it's no problem. I, I don't care that you'd stop and let her uh, check things out. Now, ideally, our goal is for them to be able to check things out but stay on task because say you're doing whatever, whatever. Uh, let's say you're, you're working on a, a backup, okay? And you're trying to build this backup and all of a sudden uh, a deer pops out at the end of the field and your mule stops backing up and is just locked onto the deer paying attention to it. Okay, I'm glad she noticed the deer. That's not a big deal. 
But what I'm not happy about is that we shut down in the middle of our little exercise there. I, I'm not I'm not happy that the stimulus overrode um, the task that I was working on. So I want to I want to get them to where we can stick to the task, but also be okay with stimulus. So how do you do this? Well, okay, little. Uh, I, I maybe she shuts down and she notices the thing. Well, I, I'm not gonna like punish her or do something, you know, like to make her, you know, do something different right there, like uh, get after or anything. But I'm gonna continue asking for my backup. Like we were working on the backup. The, hey, you just let's just keep backing up, okay? So I don't care that you see the deer. I don't even care if you look at it. But hey, finish the backup because if I if if she in that in that moment I'm trying to back up, okay? She sees the deer, she braces up and stops. I'm trying to back her up still. Okay, well, if I stop everything, then I also released for the brace. Okay, and that's no good for us. So I need to continue with my original question. And you can apply that to just pretty much anything, whatever. Okay, good question, Cody. Thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, it's good. Next question comes from Kate Vassell. Hi, Ty and Sky. How do you go about introducing animals to temporary electric fencing? Is there anything you do differently with animals that have been handled less, such as weanlings? Thank you. Okay, Kate, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't use electric fencing that much anymore. I have in the past, um, but like uh, I just don't do a lot of it. So, uh, you know, there may be others out there that. You know, I, I know a lot of people that come to our clinics and stuff. They they use electric fencing all the time to make their portable corrals and and uh, so maybe there's somebody out there that can give you a better answer than what I'm about to give you. However, uh, we have used electric fencing in the past to get mules so they don't push on like permanent fencing. Like I don't want a mule pushing down a rail fence, or I don't want a mule, you know, pushing over panels or something. We'll put uh, electric fencing up. Um, you know, this past summer we did that for a mule that uh, was at our place for a while, and and he liked it. Gosh, he really liked to push on my panels. So we put a hot wire up, electric fence, and introducing it uh, was just putting it up and <laughs> let, let the mule the mule went and pushed on the panel and got zapped, and it only took him once or twice to figure out, hey, you don't push on that panel. So. I suppose the best idea that I could give you to introduce um, electric fencing to whatever, and especially if it's a youngster, I guess, is I would put the electric fence up in your, your normal pen, okay, your corral, your dry lot, your pasture, okay, and, and put it just a couple of foot off of your, your fence that's permanent. So picture your, your corral, okay, um, Go a couple feet off the that. Put your posts in. Put your fence up. So the mules already kind of know that there's a there's a boundary from the the permanent fencing. They already know that. So it's not like they're gonna, you know, get out and run away. Um, and then go ahead and put your fence up there, and um, maybe just like I said, just a foot or two off that permanent fencing. So so basically, well, if it's only a foot or two off of your permanent fence, they really can't push that electric fence that far to, to bust it and break it. So let's just say, you know, the power goes out or whatever, or the battery runs out, and 
there's no power. Okay, well, the mule pushes into it. Well, I don't want them pushing so much that they learn that that that, that uh, tape, the electrical tape or the electrical wire will break because we know if they push too far, it's going to snap. Okay, so I'll do that and um, turn it on. Maybe they get zapped a couple of times, but it's not like they need to push into it anyways. And then I might shorten shorten up that, that corral. I might bring that... Uh, electrical fence further in you know now it's three or four foot off the fence so now there is a little gap and they could potentially push on it but there's there's still some you know some room there uh and i would just do that little by little until my you know the next thing you know i'll make a small corral and they respect that wire it only takes them a couple a couple times of getting getting smacked by it to to stay off that fence but with the babies that really don't know that all that they'll push on the regular fence anyways Keep it real close to your permanent fencing. That way it never breaks. Because if they learn that, okay, yeah, there's a zap, but it will break, just push through it. It's kind of like teaching them to pull back on the lead rope, hang on at the hitch rail, you know, hang on the lead. And and they'll it hurts while they're hanging, but they know that, you know, that lead rope's going to bust or the snap's going to break and there'll be some relief. You don't want them to find that. So, so put it to where they can't really break it. They're going to get zapped but they're going to get stopped before they break it. So anyways, that's how I do it, Kate. Those are some great questions. I appreciate you guys sending your questions in. And if you're listening out there and you'd like uh, to send a question in to be featured on the podcast, send me an email. My email is ty, that's T-Y, ty at tsmules.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd also love to hear uh, your thoughts on the podcast. Please email me your thoughts and and how you like the show um, and any questions you have. We'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, if you want more information on our clinics, if you want to to check out our articles, um, our master class, all those things, our our clinic schedule, everything, go to tsmules.com. And uh, you can find that stuff there. So, hey, thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, Sure grateful for all of you. God bless you. And we will see you down the road. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mules and More magazine. Mules and More has been around a long time. It's a great magazine. And uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years, and she has done an amazing job. Um, also, did you know that Meals More comes in a digital format? You can download it on your phone, read it wherever you're at. So, hey, be sure to check them out, mealsmore.com. And, uh, you know, hey, tell them Ty sent you. I'd be very grateful. Mealsmore.com. <laughs>